When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Through 25 seasons, hey! 4,561 episodes, I believe The Oprah Winfrey Show was one of the greatest classrooms in the world. I really never thought of it that way. The aha moments, the breakthroughs, the connections, the occasional ugly cry. I miss him so terribly. I miss him every single minute. The LOLs, the moments that mattered. The eye-opening life lessons. Never allow them to take you somewhere else. I'm bringing them back. It's time to open the vault. I've personally chosen these classic episodes to share with you again. Every single person you ever will meet shares that common desire. They want to know, do you see me? Do you hear me? Does what I say mean anything to you? You are listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. Sean Smith, a 10-year-old little boy, accidentally pulled the trigger of his dad's gun and killed his 8-year-old sister, Erin. Larry Smith, their father, has to live with the grief, guilt, and tragedy that has now devastated his family. My first guest is all too familiar with the heartbreak of that particular story because her 10-year-old son, Scott, was pronounced dead after his best friend, Barry, accidentally shot him with a 357 Magnum. Barry told police that he got the gun from his dad's briefcase and just wanted to show off his father's guns to Scott. Meet Scott's mother, who is um, still grieving, Kathy Owen. Hi. Hi, Kathy. My next guest, Judy Soto, just moved her family from the house they once shared with her son, Omar. She says the memories are too painful there. Ten-year-old Omar was accidentally shot and killed by a playmate wielding his father's gun. Judy remembers never allowing her own children to own toy guns and says now because of a 357 Magnum, her son is gone. And for my next guest, a day doesn't pass when they don't think about the senseless handgun accident that killed their ten-year-old son, Brian, while he was playing with a neighbor down the street. Brian's father was called to the scene of the accident to find his son lying on the floor with a small bullet hole on the visor of his son's baseball cap. Meet Brian's parents, John and Darlene Darling. One child is killed every day in the United States and 10 are injured, and a recent study showed that nearly every other household in this country has a gun. And a little later on in the show, we're going to discuss both sides of this uh, national issue. The question, should handguns be banned? Would it solve some of these tragedies that we're experiencing in the country. Welcome all of my guests to the show. I'm very glad that you have the courage to be here. Uh, uh, I, I recognize that your, your grief is so recent. And so I, I suppose that you gathered the courage to come on and speak because you certainly have some strong feelings about what should be done. Yes, uh, I think that when guns are sold, I think that they should 
through the manufacturer, I think that they should have a lock on them automatically. Mm -hmm. I brought a little uh, thing with me. I don't know if it would help anyone. It's for a loaded gun. The gun can be loaded, mm -hmm. you know, and all it takes is a key off your keychain in case there's an intruder. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't take a second, but if the gun is loaded, you know, you just, you can't put off the gun. I mean, the, the gun cannot be, you can't pull the trigger. Are there guns in your house? We had a small, cal a very small one in our home, and there was a, the gun was in my husband's drawer, and the bullets were in a separate place in the house. Mm -hmm. They were not in anywhere. Mm -hmm. So the gun was never loaded? Never. And so, for Scott, what, what happened that day? What? He had went to his friend's house to play Nintendo. His brother went, went down, uh, couldn't find his friend. So he went to go join his brother, and we assumed the parents were home, like all parents. He said, Mom, you know, they're going to be there. So we went down, and uh, the mother called my home and said, I think this is your son here on my floor. And I went down, my mother and I went down, and uh, I went and I looked, and I hollered, Scotty. You know, like any mother does, you know, you think maybe they're just laying there on the floor, maybe kidding around. Mm -hmm. And I hollered, Scotty, get up, Scotty. And I picked him up, and part of his little head was gone. They had shot him in the head. And I picked my little baby up in his arms, and he was bleeding. And I knew in the minute I picked him up, he was dead. The minute I picked him up, I knew he was dead, and I tried to hold him, and I was too scared. I was just too scared. I had to run out of the room. I was afraid. I'd never seen anything like that before. Especially my son, I mean, he was my, he was my buddy. I was a young mother and uh, divorced for a long time and he always thought that he was the big guy. Mm -hmm. You know, the big... Again, how old was he? 10. 10. I just, I miss him so terribly. I miss him every single minute. His little brother was there in the room with him when it happened. And how old is his little brother? Seven. His name is Joey. Mm -hmm. So Joey saw it. Joey was there and Joey saw it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, Joey's coping pretty well. I think he, he's doing okay. When I get back, I want to find someone good for him. Mm -hmm. But I mean, such a thing to have your seven-year-old see your brother die. Mm -hmm. I mean, they... Of course, seven-year-old kids, they go back and forth and they argue and they mm -hmm. do their thing, but uh, they loved each other. Mm -hmm. And he wears his brother's clothes all the time, all the time, and looks at his little pictures. We were coming back from my parents' house, and I've been recently married, and mm -hmm. he was looking. I said, well, what are you looking at, Joe? I said, are you looking at you or your cousin? He said, no, Mommy, I'm looking at Scotty. Mm -hmm. He said, I want him to come home. I told him he's never, never coming home. So does he? Does uh, does he, he? He, you know, understand what death is? And that he does now. He, does he knows. Now. Uh, we we let our children play with guns and you know and Nintendo. And my thing is, I think video games, not particularly Nintendo or whatever, video games themselves. Children don't understand, and when they watch the video games, and they go pow pow. Mm -hmm. And five minutes later, the same guy gets up, and he can run around again. 
I just don't think that children understand when they go pow pow or bang bang, it's for real. And you don't get up and you don't ride a bike and you don't go swimming and you don't ride a skateboard again. Mm -hmm. Do you, you think um, Scotty's friend who shot him understood at the time what was happening? I don't really think so. He loves Scott like a brother. I mean, the child, I had the child in my home the day of the funeral and he cried and he hugged Joey. He wanted to see Joey. Mm -hmm. He, I mean, and I, I just held Barry and I hugged him and I cried and I told him I knew he was sorry and I forgave him. <laughs> I know he didn't mean to do it, mm -hmm. you know? And so, are because I wonder how do parents then, what are your feelings about the other parents who, uh, who had the gun in their house loaded? Do you blame those parents? No, I don't blame those parents. I just think, uh, I, I really, I don't think that Barry was even trying to show off. I think it was just something that happened. He <coughs> happened to come across his dad's gun. They were done even like the FBI. They were wrapped up, you know, and the boy got him out and he loaded the gun, the whole, all six rounds, and popped it on his hand and thought they were all gone. And went bang to Joe, there was nothing. Bang at the wall, there was nothing. And Scotty says, uh-oh, he has a big one now. And he jumped on the floor and bang, and then Scotty was gone. And then they went screaming through the house and said, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. And uh, Joey said, that's my brother, that's my brother. And they turned him over and they looked at him and they went screaming out of the house and hid. We didn't know if it was a break-in or a robber or a murderer. We couldn't find Joe and, and I was hysterical. I thought that they killed my Joey too. Mm -hmm. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores, including headliners, Adidas, Elf Cosmetics, and Lego. Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals. During Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th, the cash back rates are even bigger. You can save on everything you need for summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of Big Give Week's 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app, R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. We're talking about whether or not handguns should be banned to parents who have recently, in the case of Kathy, just lost her 10-year-old son, um, a neighbor child, um, playing with a gun, shot her son uh, in the head. And Judy lost her son, your son Omar, playing at a friend's house. Yes, um, my son came home from school. Mm -hmm. And my husband was home. And he asked to go out and play. Mm -hmm. um, he wanted to go ride his bicycle. And um, he went to ride his bicycle. And my husband told him to come back soon because he had karate classes. And um, he took off his chain because he knew he had to take off his chain to go to karate. And he took it off. And, gave it to my husband. I says, don't worry, I'll be back in time for karate. He says, be careful, don't go too far. Um, he rode his bicycle and um, he rode around to this boy's house, which is about three blocks away from the house. And he saw his best friend in front of the house. Um, the boy that shot my son wasn't really his friend or his best friend at all. He was just an acquaintance. Mm -hmm. And um, Omar saw his best friend in front of the house and he stopped. It so happened that he stopped and um, the boy was alone in the house 
with two sisters, 10 and 11, and the boy was 13. He was alone in there. And um, they invited the kids in. So they invited Omar and his best friend and another boy inside the house. And the sisters decided to show him the house because he had never been in there. Mm -hmm. And um, he started showing him the house. And the boy decided to go to his father's closet where they had um, three firearms loaded, all of them, up in the closet where you would leave your towels um, up in the closet. And he just chose his 357 Magnum. He brought it down. And um, he was showing off. He was really, you know, he was showing off. I really don't know if he took it off for attention or just to, you know, just be showing off, for, you know, the gun. He brought it down, and, you know, according to the police report, he uncocked it. Um, he supposedly couldn't uncock it. His sisters had told him, you know, put that away. But he just kept on. And he, you know, he cocked it, and he said he could uncock it. So all the kids went out to the yard on the side of the house. And he was trying to uncock it. He, for some reason, pulled again the trigger to try to uncock it. And the shot went out, the bullet went out, and it hit Omar on the forehead. And he laid in the ground. You know, um, the children, you know, started screaming and everything. A little boy went to my house and got my husband, told him that Omar had got shot in the head. And he didn't believe it, of course. And, you know, I was working at the hospital. I worked at Memorial Hospital. And, you know, he called me right away, and, and when he called, you know, he just said, something's wrong, because he had gotten to the scene, and, but he saw Omar on the, on the floor, but he thought that, you know, it was something else. I mean, you know, a punch in the nose or something, or something, you know, definitely not a fire shot, definitely not. So he called me, and he says, you know, something's wrong, rescue's here, Omar's on the floor, I don't know, and, and the policeman had to take him back, because he was all, you know, very upset and everything. And then I was sitting next to a pediatrician because I was so happened to be the pedi pediatric social worker at the hospital. And she says, what's wrong? And I says, I don't know. I think Omar broke a leg or something. You know, I, I just kept telling my husband, bring him here. I want you to bring him here because I know they're going to care for him here. And I had Yvonne next to me, the, the pediatrician. And I says, you know, Yvonne, something happened to Omar. I don't know what it is. So I hung up, and the neighbor called again. And the neighbor, you know, said, I said, well, what's wrong? She says, don't worry, don't worry, rescue's here. Rescue's here, but I, I, tell me what's wrong. So then she talked to the doctor, to Yvonne, and she told her that, you know, it was a shot in the head. And Yvonne just turned to me and she says, oh, Judy, God, it's a shot in the head. And I just went crazy in the hospital. And I took him to the hospital, and they tried their best, but the bullet had also come out through the other side. So, you know, he was completely gone by the time he got to the hospital. They tried their best. And, I couldn't, and I never forget that face when Yvonne told me, Judy, he's gone. He's gone. I mean, you know, it was something that no one could imagine. And, you know, it's just some, it's a terror. You're in shock for, for weeks. I, I don't know how Kathy has done it, but I would never have been emotionally ready to do this at any time before this. I don't know, Kathy. Often, you know, people come on the show. I mean, I, I sit here sometimes and wonder, how people can say the things that they do on this show and 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 um, be so candid and expose so much of themselves. But what I have what I've learned over the years that for a lot of people it is cathartic, you know. It is um, and and for you, I mean, what we're seeing for you is just you know pure raw raw yeah, grief. It's, it's just I just can't believe that just so many parents are. I, I'm not pro or against guns. I mean, I have no feelings. I, I, I've only shot a gun once in my life. 
but I just can't believe that parents take their children out and small children and take them hunting and show them. I mean, and shooting and what? Take them out to the to the forest and take a picture of a squirrel or take a picture of a deer. You don't shoot them and see what they look like. Mm -hmm. You know, you just. And then when you don't have anybody and you look in the room and there's nobody there and you still have to, after it happens and you fold their little clothes and you put them up to their face and you smell them and maybe you can, you know, little always little boys when they went and play, they always smell like little dirty dogs when they come in, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they always do. You know, oh God, can I get that little dirty dog smell? Mm -hmm. And just to see, and he was laying right there beside me. Scotty was there about an hour before we found him and he was fatal. And his little brother said he saw the, the bullet over he and he says, you know, we can take it out and he'll be okay. But uh I would imagine it it is it is something for for the oh rest of your God. life you, you, you carry it. I don't think it would be so bad is if like maybe herself, they, they call and they bring him in, but when you find them laying there you know, and you just find that little, that little bloody pool of what is your child. And you pick them up and they had a nice little brown suntan and stuff and all of a sudden they're stark white and part of the little head is gone and stuff and you know it's yours and you know it's never, ever, 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 ever coming home. I want him to come home. I want him to come home so bad. Oh, Kathy. Talking to parents who've lost their children as a result of handguns, all of our guests today uh, lost their children to uh, handguns when their children were playing at other people's houses. Now, Kathy says she doesn't blame the parents. Do you? I blame the parents for their responsibility mm -hmm. of keeping a loaded firearm and easy access to the children. Mm -hmm. uh, we lost Brian. He went out to play on a Sunday morning with his brother, and his brother said, go up, go up the street and play with your friend. And uh, Brian did so. And How old was Brian? Brian was 10. Mm -hmm. And the uh, boy he went to play with was 13. And while Brian was uh, up there, well, a few days prior, uh, the father of the boy had bought a, a gun. And he had took his son into the bedroom and showed him dad's new gun. And when the boy left the room, he loaded it and put it in a dresser drawer. And when Brian went up there Sunday morning, uh, to play with them, they brought him in the house and the parents I went up the street to get the boys some breakfast. They, the family owns a restaurant, and they went to get some breakfast for the boys. And while they were gone, from police reports and the, and the testimony of the boy, um, he took Brian into the room and showed him Dad's new gun, not realizing it was loaded. It was a 44 Magnum. Hmm. And when he pulled it out of the drawer, he pointed it at Brian's forehead, and he cocked it. And then realizing it was loaded, he tried to uncock it, but it was still pointed at Brian's forehead and shot Brian through the forehead up here. And the impact threw Brian into the closet. Um, I'm not sure what happened then as far as how the boy got a hold of the parents. But from the time this all happened, Brian wasn't gone a half hour. My wife and I were reading a paper, and a neighbor came down and said, there's been a terrible accident. I said, with one of your sons? I said, which one? He said, the youngest one. And I said, honey, get dressed. I'll be back in a few minutes. Uh, and I ran up to the street in the car. It was about three blocks away. And there was an ambulance was already there and three police cars. I didn't know what happened yet, and uh, 
when I went in and I said, you know, Brian's been shot, and I, and I asked him how bad it was, and they said he was dead. And uh, I said, I want to go see him. And they didn't want me to, but I said, it's my son, I want to go see him. And I went in the bedroom, and uh, they had pulled Brian out of the closet. The father had pulled Brian out of the closet to check his vitals to see if he was alive. And he was laying beside the bed, so I, I didn't see the gruesome end of the, the blood and, and all that. Brian was just laying on the side of the the bed with a gash in his head and of course could not see the back of his head and uh, I just picked him up and it looked like he was sound asleep and I just picked him up and I held him and I said please my god Brian don't be dead wake up wake up and uh, I ran out of the house and and I had to go tell my wife and my other son wasn't around yet and I ran home and I and I opened the door and I said Brian's dead and she collapsed in my arms and we went back up to the house, and uh, she wanted to go see him, and I would not let her go in the house. And uh, she stayed outside, and I went back in again to talk to the police, and, that, and my other son came back, so she comforted my other son. It, uh, it never ends. We, the pain we, is still there. You still miss, you still miss him. I still miss him. Uh, John still misses him. You still wait for him to come home. You still think, you really? know, that maybe one day he'll come through that door and that you'll get to see him. Yeah, you still, you, because you want that child so badly, because you miss the child so badly, that you just... Does it hope. ease, though? I mean, because what Kathy's going through now, three, you've been there, and so right. does the pain at least subside at some point? At some point, it does subside day to day. It's, it's a daily living. One day, I'll be strong, and I'm okay, and the next day, I may have a very bad day that I still miss mm -hmm. him. That's definitely a fact because there's days that I can, you know, be with my children and my husband and, and, and go on a picnic and, and go to the beach or whatever with them. And there's days that I sob myself to work and nobody knows it but me. I'm all alone in the car and all of a sudden I just start sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. I get to work and I have to get my composure before I can go inside the office because, you know, it's like she says, it's, it's one day yes and one day no and one day yes, one day I sleep, one day I don't. One day I get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and I'm looking at his portrait in the living room. One day I'm not. You know, it's, it's, it's like she says. It's something that it subsides for a little bit and then it goes on again. And then, you know, it's, and then when you go to the cemetery, you know, we go every Sunday. And he's, his Mark Stone says, you know, your smile will always live on. And, um, you know, because he was so happy. He, he was such a happy boy. He was so witty. He, he, he used to make everybody laugh. And when I got the letters from all the kids from the class and everything, they all said the same thing, you know, we're going to miss Omar so much because he was so funny. He was always doing a funny thing. He was always making a joke. And it was, you know, and then you sit there and, 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 and look at that grave and, you know, just have to get up and leave him there. You know, Let's talk about why you're really here. I, I, I appreciate you all coming on and, and really exposing this, this part of yourself so that the rest of America can see what guns really do. But... Do you feel that as a result of what has happened in your lives that banning guns is the answer? Well, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think so, and I don't think no. realistically. I, mean, yeah, I think it's such a, the world we live in now is, is it, I mean, it's such a terrible place we live in, rape, murder. I mean, you never know who's going to come into your house and try to harm you. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to have some sort of protection. Mm -hmm. I disagree. You disagree? I disagree. I mean, with all due respect to, to, to them, I, I don't feel that guns 
are needed in the home. I definitely don't feel they should be in homes where there's children. I don't care if they're one-year-old, if they're 13-year-old, if they're 14-year-old. Uh, my next guest uses very serious facts to back her argument to ban handguns. Some of them are every three hours, three hours now, a teenager commits suicide with a handgun. One child is killed every day in this country in accidental shootings, and 10 are injured. She says over 100 accidental shootings have been reported so far this year to the Center to Prevent Handgun Violence, an organization which she is the executive director of. Meet Barbara Lofton. My next uh, guest recently testified before the House Select Committee on Children and Guns, and she says guns do not belong in an environment where there are children, and if they are, they shouldn't be loaded. But parents don't understand this. She is a pediatrician and has come face to face with the tragedies caused by handguns. Meet Dr. Catherine Christoffel. And my last guest, a member of the Florida National Rifle Association, says the new law just passed in Florida to punish parents who don't lock away loaded guns that wind up harming a child is absurd. She feels that putting grief-stricken parents behind bars is not the answer and strongly believes that every citizen has the right to own a gun and to take away that right is clearly wrong. Meet Marion Hammer. We're glad to have you all join us on the show. So Marion, you think the law is absurd? Sure. Putting a grief-stricken parent in prison is going to compound the tragedy to that family. Education, teaching children to be safe around guns, not to touch guns that they find carelessly unattended, and making parents more responsible through education for the proper storage of their firearms is what we need to be doing. Mm -hmm. We don't look at banning swimming pools. We don't look at banning automobiles. We don't look at banning poisons. We need a realistic approach to solve a problem and to save young lives. Mm -hmm. And you say what, Dr. Christoph? I say that doesn't fit with the realities of children. Children have characteristic ways of behaving that aren't gonna change no matter how much we wish it were so. Children are inquisitive, they explore. If what they explore is a gun and it's loaded, they're dead or somebody else's. Older children are full of bravado. They see people on TV settling all their problems with guns, they're gonna show off. I can handle a gun. This is normal behavior. It's not gonna change because we tell them. They won't remember, they won't be able to resist temptation. We can't wish it were so. Sure, there are children who will listen. Sure, there are children who are not so inquisitive. But there aren't enough of them to make that kind of strategy work. And it doesn't, matter if the if, if, it doesn't matter if there's only one, if that one is your child who ends up dead. You bet. Yeah. Well, so, to, to suggest that education is not the answer uh, would suggest that what we're doing with other safety messages mm -hmm. is wrong and ineffective. And I don't agree with that. Okay. Firearms do present a problem but education is going to help. See, I, I think that education, I'll let you speak in a moment, Kathy, is, that's a very valid point, but it just seems like common sense to me that you wouldn't have three loaded firearms in a place where a child could get them. I don't know what kind of education are we gonna do in this country to, to let people know that that is a stupid thing to do. Well, we need to do some, some public service uh, announcements. We need to make parents aware that firearms ownership is a serious responsibility, that they cannot leave loaded firearms accessible to their children. But who doesn't know that already? 
Well, apparently a lot of people don't know that yeah, because they're right. not taking the safety precautions that they need to take. You know, the National Rifle Association spends two-thirds of its annual budget on education and training, but we can't get to each and every firearms owner in the, in the nation. So there needs to be a nationwide campaign, you think, to, to let people know that that, hand, that a bullet can kill you I, I or kill your child. Really, I'm not trying to make fun of it. It's the same way we did education about drunk driving and other, and other things that can harm people. It wasn't just education on things. drunk driving. There were a lot of things besides that to back it up. Legislation. I, I, right. I think it's, it, it's terrible that we have to even consider educating our children about firearms because of our own irresponsibility as a parent or an adult. Ms. Hammer, uh, I'm Mark Carlin. Uh, the police we read about once every two or three months mistakenly kill a child, perhaps because they think the child has a handgun and turns out to be a toy gun. And I, my question is, if the police, our law enforcement officials, can't distinguish between a real and a toy gun in life and death situations, how do we expect children to adopt what is a parent's responsibility? And I think the NRA is really going to be responsible for more child's deaths by saying somehow we can teach children to safely deal with guns when our law enforcement officials have a problem distinguishing the difference. Well, I grew up around guns. I've raised three children and I have a four-year-old grandson. My children were taught, my grandson has been taught not to touch firearms that they find carelessly unattended. We have to teach children these methods when we have firearms in our own homes because we can't be sure that firearms in other homes are secured safely. Mm -hmm. We teach our children not to point a gun at anyone, regardless well, of whether it's a toy or a real gun. I, and the gentleman's correct. There, there are problems uh, in differentiating between real and toy guns. I go back to Dr. Christoffel's point, though, in, in terms of the nature of children. For instance, if somebody puts a gun on a shelf, the nature, I remember as soon as my parents left the house, I went to look in all the shelves to see what I could find. Oh, so the sort of, yes. You wouldn't, you don't let your children play in your home if you leave your prescription drugs out. You don't leave your cleansers out. You lock your drawers. You have locks on the cabinets that have no butcher knives in them. Why should you let your home, your children play in your home if they're a loaded firearm? I, and I think another important point is, as all these people show us, you know, fully 40% of kids who are killed in accidental handgun shootings are killed in other people's homes. It's not enough just to say, I'm a responsible parent, I'm going to lock up and unload my handgun. Because as we see, tragedy can strike anyone, anytime, anywhere. Uh, Kathy, you want to speak? I, Thank yeah, you, there was a thing, they, and I live in Florida, and they were taking children from 7 years old to 13 years old out and showing them how to load, unload guns and how to shoot them. In my opinion, there is no child between eight and the ages of seven and 13 years old that should know how to load, unload, and shoot a gun. None whatsoever. I mean, what are they going to do with it? But Except obviously, have accidents like us on the panel. But obviously, the little boy who was playing with your son knew how to unload a gun because he the tried father, to unload. The father, the parent, had to have shown them. I mean, it's not something that a child automatically knows how to do themselves. Someone else has to show them how to do that. Well, Senator uh, uh, William Maravitz is joining us here today, and he, you sponsored a bill that will make, il what, illegal the use of any rifle or gun that... Well, the bill that we have in Illinois now is a bill to ban the use of semi-automatic assault weapons, the military-style weapons, when used in conjunction with a magazine, a clip of excessive capacity, over 10 rounds for, uh, mm -hmm. for rifles and over 15 rounds for pistols. Uh, and we tried to sit down with the National Rifle Association, work with them. We held hearings. They've been totally intransigent. 
They refuse to talk to us. These are weapons whose only purpose is to kill people. They fire hundreds of rounds in seconds. So we're not, we're not trying to bridge people's freedoms and say that they can't have a gun in their house. That's not what the bill says at all. It doesn't even say you can't have this weapon. It says if you take this weapon and you couple it with a magazine of excessive capacity, then and only then is the weapon banned. And the National Rifle Association refuses to go along with that. We've tried to work with the, with the NRA. We tried to set up a hotline, Oprah, not take away people's guns, a hotline that just said, before the gun dealer, the gun seller, sells that gun to somebody, let them pick up a hotline and check and see if the person that's coming in with a Ford card, the firearm owner's identification card, let them see if they're a felon or a drug dealer or they've been in a mental institution. Why, let why them find out. And, and the, NRA, the NRA opposed that. They opposed that. So we're not trying to take away anybody's gun there. They try and say, well, everybody's got a right to gun. That's one thing, okay? But this type of legislation... Felon, mass murderer, whoever. They're against anything at all. Anything we do, they're against, and they have an argument. And we've tried to sit down with them. They refuse to talk. And this semi-automatic military-type assault weapon ban that we're trying to work on in Illinois, not handguns, not... You know, they, when they talk about the, the, the constitutional right to guns, that our constitutional fathers said, they didn't, they didn't anticipate Uzis and, and MK-47s, okay? And 13-year-olds having access to it. Absolutely right. You know, they, they, they anticipated everybody having a musket in their house, okay? Uh, this is a different kind of thing, a weapon that fires hundreds of rounds in seconds. This is very important to try and ban these weapons. From, from everybody in the state. It's an excellent Close place tomorrow. to start. Most of the deaths are handguns, though. Mm -hmm. And so it's a good first step, and it opens up the door to understanding that children don't have a right to have access to murderous weapons. Joining me here is Philip Andrew, who was shot in the chest as he tried to disarm murderous Lori Dan after she burst into uh, his suburban home after her shooting spree in suburban Chicago, where she killed one child, injured several others in a school there. And, and your, your feeling is what, Philip? Well, my feeling hasn't changed since I, before I was shot. Uh, people like to think that, you know, because a bullet ripped through my chest that my whole opinion on gun is, is changed. But I think that any reasonable person will agree that we don't want criminals and we don't want psychopaths with guns, as well as we don't want the ordinary <coughs> civilian carrying around large magazine capacity mm -hmm. to wipe out an entire classroom. Yeah, which and is what Senator Maveritz was saying. Exactly. And I think what the senator and I are trying to say is that gun violence is not an acceptable thing in the United States anymore. And what we have to do is we have to circumvent this problem in all of our systems. In the criminal justice system, we have to make it clear that gun violence is unacceptable and criminals that, that do use uh, a weapon unlawfully should do hard time. We have to do some preventative work in the terms of gun legislation that would keep guns out of uh, criminals' hands, as well as uh, do a, a mild background check on some of our law-abiding citizens, whatever that means. Yeah, I don't understand why anybody would be opposed to a nice, mild background check. You know, it seems like a, a reasonable thing. But does this all, thank you, Philip, does this, does this problem, the root of this problem begin with handguns, as you were saying? Yes. Absolutely. You know, there are 60 million handguns in American homes right now. Half are kept loaded. 
you, you know, you ask the question about do people understand the dangers? No, they don't. And the problem with the National Rifle Association is they will never admit that handguns are dangerous. They will never admit that you need to teach our kids the dangers of guns, that you need to teach parents to keep those guns away from parents. You know, this is, a, this is an organization that tells us everyone should have a gun because they'll be better defended. We can stop crime. But if handguns were going to make a nation safe with 60 million out there, we'd already be the safest nation on earth. I know, but you said... You said that they're not, not willing to teach, and Marion just said that that's what we need is education. They're, they're willing to teach kids how to load and unload a gun, but they're not willing to teach a child that guns are dangerous, and they're not willing to teach parents to keep those guns locked up and unloaded in the home at all times. That's not true at all. The National Rifle Association has sponsored education. There's a comic book that they have out to, what are they that's on do a kid's for my level two-year-old daughter. To teach they can't kids teach a kid that, that guns young. are dangerous, and sense. if they do encounter them, what to do, what which is to leave them alone. Well, so don't say that they don't security and that the point that I wanted to make safety. also was that a gun ban can't work because prohibition didn't work all it did was give a springboard to the crime syndicate okay. how many you say against the law now and they are coming in by the tons every day and it, I think it needs to come out of the com the comic book and you if you're going to have the guns in the house that you should educate your kid to how to unload it how to load it not to point unload it to somebody it. What are the statistics I, of in the profession that, that I, I am in I have to have a handgun okay and my son, he's just made 14 yesterday, he knows how to unload it. I take him to the range. I have a seven-year-old. Until I showed him that this is a real gun and the weight of it and put it in his hand, unloaded, he wanted to see it. I'd hide it, and I come and I see something moved around. And I say, James, I told you don't bother that. And then I showed it to him, tell him ten thousand times, and, and, he really gets a child. and he goes and touches that gun and kills another child. And when you, you find your son you're not there, and you educate—that's not education. Because you don't get back. You don't leave your chainsaw out for the kid to play with, or cleaning fluid. You said before that you lock up all the cleaning fluids and other poisons that are in the house. Kids get into mischief. You have to keep the guns completely out of their reach in a lockbox. Keep the ammunition separate from the guns. Mm -hmm. Educate Absolutely. the parents on where to keep their guns. You don't you don't ban matches because kids play with matches and set fire to the house. Uh, you, you you can't just indiscriminately punish innocent people who are educated in the use of firearms because of the irresponsible few. Closing seconds you wanted to say, Ms. Hammer? This is not a political issue. It's a safety issue. And NRA bashing has no role in this debate, regardless of where you stand philosophically on the gun issue. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Oprah Show, the podcast. And I thank you for listening.